0: All right, so now we get to the point of Chapters 9 and 10, which is about courage and generosity. And I think this is a pretty impactful little session right here in a very impactful two chapters. We start off on courage. Let's define what courage is. And if you're okay with it, I'd like to give us a few different definitions, which I think all are true. But if I give all of them, it sort of encompasses what courage is, because courage is an interesting, different type of, of a character. First of all, it is the outward expression of humility. When you don't think you're the most important person in the room, then you're willing to sacrifice to do what's right for others. Also, it's all of your character expressed in a single moment of time. When something happens, you're not expecting, you're not ready for it. How do you react Do you? Like George Costanza sees the fire in the little kids party and he runs and he hit, throws the kids and the old lady out of the way to run out of the apartment. Right. We're finding out who George is and we all laugh because that, that is who we know him to be in Seinfeld. Or is it something that you immediately turn towards the fight? Do you run towards the gunfire or away from the gunfire? Lastly, I would say courage is being afraid and obeying God anyway. And I think that one really gets us to the nexus of the point because there are so many times where we're held back from obeying the Lord because of fear. Sometimes it's rational fear and sometimes it's irrational fear. Sometimes it's seeing disease and sickness. We see during the black plague when people fled the cities and left the sick everywhere and it was the church that came in and cared for them. And all right, we saw that kind of character back in the middle ages. How did, how did that compare to how we behaved during COVID? Courage, having fear about obeying anyway. The the chapter on courage in the book starts with another cop story and I won't recount that here, but I do want to go into a different story. That's not on the book that might be helpful. One of my favorite books in the Bible is Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Bible or the old Testament written before Jesus is going to come and God's about to stay silent for three to 400 years between Malachi and the coming of the Messiah. He knows this is the closing up of his word for a a while. And he's got some very pointed things to say. In Malachi chapter 2, God is going off on the priests for not preaching his word. They're not standing up for him. They're not preaching his word accurately. And some of them are doing it for selfish gain. And God, as he's pointing this out to them through Malachi, he says, look at my servant Levi. He was filled with wisdom. He turned many from their wicked ways. Be like Levi. So then we ask, well, who was Levi? Levi. Well, if you're a Bible student or a pastor, you probably know Levi was one of the patriarchs and the, the priestly tribe was named after Levi. But what do we know about Levi? When God says be like him, what do we know about him? Well, actually, there's only one thing we really know about Levi. In Genesis, I think it's chapter 33 or 34, Levi's sister Dinah goes out and she gets raped by a prince, a local prince. And a couple of days later, the prince brings his dad and they go meet with Jacob and the boys, the patriarchs, are out in the field working. And they're negotiating buying Dinah to be his wife because he enjoyed raping her so much, now he wanted to own her so he could do it whenever he wanted to. And really, as a travesty, Jacob's actually negotiating with these two people. When the patriarchs come back and they hear what's going on, they're incensed, they're infuriated. But nobody does anything except for Levi. Levi says, you know what? We're okay with you marrying our sister just that you, you have to be circumcised if you want to marry her so that we can then start intermarrying with you guys. And Levi's being deceptive when he says this. So they say, okay. So they go back and they have everybody in town, every male in town circumcised so that this prince can can now own their, their sister Dinah. Imagine Dinah being raped and now she's being sold by her father. Two days later when they're at maximum pain from their circumcision Levi grabs his brother Simeon and they go in and they kill every male in town. And then it says he rescues his sister, brings her back home. And when he brings her back home, does Jacob run up and wrap his arms around her and say, Oh, my daughter, I'm so sorry, and you're back and you're safe? No. He looks at Levi and he says, You, you brought trouble on me this day. And Levi looks his dad back in the eyes and he says, Should we have let him treat our sister like a prostitute? All right, so that's Levi. That's all we really know about Levi and God, as God tells us to be like him, except for one other thing. A long time later, I think it's about 40 years or so, Jacob's now on his deathbed. And we've gone through the story of Joseph and the brothers all went and saw Joseph and all that. And now they're in Egypt, Joseph is dying and he's giving his blessings out to his sons. These are prophetic utterings that are going to affect them. And as he says what he's going to say, he looks at Levi and he goes, you, you brought trouble on me. How dare you? You will not have an inheritance with your brothers. When the tribes go into Israel, you won't have an inheritance. You'll be scattered. Now he thinks he's cursing Levi, but did he? Mm-hmm. Because we see that Levi's descendants, actually, when, when the golden calf came and Moses says, who fears the Lord? It was the descendants of Levi who stood up with Moses and Moses blesses them and God turns his descendants into the priestly tribe. So instead of getting one twelfth of the inheritance like all the other tribes, they actually get one tenth, because the tribes all have to tie to them one tenth. So he actually gets more. Scattered? Yeah, scattered as the priests of Israel. So as Levi did what was right and courageous and bold, and even despite the cursings of his own dad, God ultimately blesses him and his descendants. And that's what we know about Levi. Now, I'm not sitting here arguing for his method of operation. We're just simply telling the story that that's the story that we know. Great courage He stood for his sister. He stood for her safety. He rescued her, it says, and he brought her home. And He says, how dare anybody treat my sister that way? And God ultimately, and he had to wait for that reward a long time, but he rewarded him for what he did and actually you know, you'd be hard-pressed to name many of the tribes of Israel, but we'd all be able to say Levi, wouldn't we? So we mentioned many definitions of what courage is, but how does that play itself out in real time? I mean, likely none of us are going to go and kill all the guys in a town to rescue our sister. So what does that mean? Well, it means stepping up where you are. It means we're seeing right now some of the biggest travesties we've ever seen. It, it, my friend Jones, John street has a great quote. He said, what was unthinkable 10 years ago, is unquestionable today. If you see the epidemic of what's going on with this transgender movement of literally schools trying to teach, talk little girls into saying that they're boys and going in and having a seventy thousand dollars surgery to destroy their lives when they don't even know really who or what they are, who are we standing up? What about going to the school board, running for the school board? What about standing for justice? What about taking a serious interest in who's running for DA in your county and ensuring it's somebody who loves justice, who will put bad people in prison and defend the, the innocent little things like that. What about standing up for truth in your church for you pastors? teach the word of God. Remember the whole story we just talked about started off with God going off on the priests in Malachi chapter 2 for not standing up for his word. And it's actually a really interesting thing there. Malachi 3 and 4, he talks about people grumbling against the Lord God and other people standing up for him. And it says, the Lord came and he listened to those people who were standing up for him, who were defending his name and writing their name down a book so it would never be forgotten that what they had done. And remember, it says in Revelation that people were brought up and they were judged by what was written in books so we have god writing in books the people who defended his name boldly writing them down and then we have all the way at the end of scripture being people being judged from what was written in the books let us have great courage written in the books of our lives you know as i go around and i talk to people one of the things i hear probably more than any other thing you you would think i hear oh mr harrison I, I i struggle with pornography i struggle with lust i i struggle with financial problems and i do hear those things a lot but the thing i hear more than anything else is i'm scared i'm afraid proverbs 28 1 says that the wicked flee when no one is pursuing but the righteous is as bold as a lion Ooh. righteousness and boldness do go together and courage and so i would say courage like we talked about it's the outward expression of all your character in a certain moment it it is not something that you're going to say i'm going to do you might be able to think about something and do a bold thing but you really find out who you are when you didn't have a chance to prepare who are you courage comes from knowing the lord jesus christ for standing boldly for him i think i may have said this before i don't remember but my wife is a courageous social media person not by starting arguments she never argues with anybody but she's constantly posting scripture constantly praying for people really she uses social media she has a huge following just to stand up for the lord and to praise him and it's amazing how many people will attack her for nothing she'll post a bible verse and they'll come after her on some crazy thing and some of the insults are horrible and she tells me you know sometimes Most of the time, people won't really defend her. She'll end up, she never argues, just stays on Christ. Then she'll have people that will private message her and say, we stand with you, sister. You keep going. You keep declaring God's word. And she said to me one day, why don't they ever say it publicly? Why don't they ever just say it in the line? I'm getting attacked, 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 attacked. And there's nobody defending me. The people who defend me do it privately so that no one will know. That's not courage. That's cowardice. My wife stands an example of what courage is, standing in the face of that. I reminded the story of George Whitfield. So if you don't know who George Woodfield is, he's one of my great heroes. He was one of the biggest pastors in the history of the church. He would speak to 30,000 people in the 1700s at a time when he didn't have a microphone. It's really amazing. And George Woodfield was on a ship coming across to the colony of Georgia, where he was going to go make a swing through the colonies of, of what is now the United States. And on his way over, an outbreak of sickness took place. And as that sickness took place, where did you find George Whitfield, the biggest pastor in the world, who was on his way to the new world to spread the love of Jesus? He was in nursing the sick. He was in there caring for them, and then he reaped what he sowed. He got sick. And by the time Whitfield got to Georgia, he spent two weeks in bed sick before he finally got up. When he got up, he went to South Carolina and started preaching against the cruelties of American slavery, and they threw him out of the colonies. So then he went up to Pennsylvania and became really close friends with a guy named Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin Franklin hung on every word of George Whitfield. And George Whitfield then went up to meet with Jonathan Edwards. And together they started the Great Awakening, a massive, massive revival. The biggest revival that we know of in the history of the church that affected both the United States or the colonies at that time and England. Start off with the humility and the courage of a man who didn't say, well, there's people who can do that. There's people who are professionals. I'm pretty dang important, and my mission's important? No. When people were in need, Whitfield was there. Do we have that kind of courage? Being being courageous uh, in gunfire is easy for me. Being courageous against a virus, not as easy. Let us be courageous in every aspect that we can be. And courage, the reason we're doing these two chapters together is courage really, it translates right into generosity because so much of generosity actually comes from courage of heart. Because generosity comes from the idea that God provides for my needs, and that I can give generously to His work, and He will refill my, uh, my bank account, which He promises that He will. That's a great and an incredible promise, and it's one that comes with a lot of trust for the Lord. Even as I say that, though, I want to say be careful. There's a lot of people who want to manipulate you to be generous to them. You know, as you all know, I run a big foundation as well as promise keepers, and I can't tell you the manipulation and I actually threw someone at our office yesterday who was really wanting me to do something dishonest to benefit him. It was really disgusting, but it happens all the time. There's people out there with their hand out saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. We got to be wise as we're generous. So don't just be generous, but, but be wise and discerning and prayerful about who you give to, how you invest your money, but. Courage translates into generosity. A person who has great boldness is almost never somebody who's stingy. I had a friend come to me who's very wealthy. He has a lot of money in a donor advised fund. And he said, gee, Ken, I, I, I've been convicted by some people I know. He said, I have uh, $5 million in my fund and, and, and I feel like I should just give it all away. And I said, well, give it all to who? Uh, I have a feeling it's give it all to the friends who are telling you, you need to give it all away. Oh, yeah, that's true, how'd you know? And I said, listen, God entrusted to you the money that you have. And I'm saying this to all of y'all listening to this. He entrusted to you what you have, and you have that in a fund, and it is upon you to, to be wise and generous with that money. What makes you think that the people you'd give it to know how to administer that money better than you do? Now, I don't suggest you sit on the money, but I also suggest you don't get manipulated to just give for the sake of giving set it aside which you have it's under don't advise fund and then be diligent about seeking out those and prayerful who can be blessed by that money i don't know if you all know the story about when dupont died and he gave i think at the time it was like 30 million dollars to his local church and it destroyed the church they weren't ready for that kind of money so let's be wise while we're generous with our money and not manipulated by people who come in their own self-interest and then claim that we need to be generous remember being generous is being Me being wise with what God gave me, it's not somebody else trying to be wise with what God gave me. And there's too much of that that goes on in the church and in the government. What you have is your responsibility. It's all God's. And He's trusting you to be wise with what you do with it, whether it's you buying a home or you buying clothes or you going to give to clean water in Africa. Be generous. Remember it's the Lord's. But also be wise with what He gave you because He entrusted you with that responsibility. I told a story in the book about how when I was a businessman, I just used to be late all the time and I never meant to be late. I didn't consciously think I'm going to be late. I would just, if I had a lunch meeting and it was 15 minutes away, I would stand up from my desk at quarter till. And then of course, by the time I got to the parking lot, got delayed, got in the car, went there, found a place to park and walk to the restaurant. I'd be 15 minutes late and I would be always sorry and it didn't mean to be and, and off we'd go. My wife, one day, who's always early, like 15 minutes early, said, you know, every time you meet me for lunch, I'm 15 minutes early, you're 15 minutes late. I sit here for half an hour doing nothing, waiting for you. And that kind of struck me. Um, But as I was praying to the Lord for humility, and we're going to get to a little bit of humility here at the very end of this, um, a couple more chapters, but as I was praying for humility, God gave me humility and I realized, in time, that I started being early all the time. My sin wasn't being late. My sin was being arrogant. My sin was that I valued my time more than other people's time. And what I found was, after a couple of years of not even being conscious of it, somebody somewhere had made a comment that I was really early, and then other people said, well, Harrison's always early, and I was stunned. And I went home and told my wife what happened, and she just smiled at me. She said, Ken, you've been early for years now. Oh, I didn't even realize it. The sin, the root of the sin was arrogance. The, the, the symptom was being late. Generosity of spirit meant I would not want to make somebody else wait for me. And I, this may convict a lot of y'all who are watching this. And I will just tell you, uh, if that's the case with you, ask what the core sin is. Um, I had somebody come to me and say, Ken, I, I really struggle with a love of money. And I said, okay, in what ways? And as we talked, I said, you know, your problem isn't a love of money. That is a symptom. There's a, there's a cause. What's the foundation? Because if you want money so bad, well, money is maybe you want security. And so you don't really trust in God. You don't really have faith. And so there's never enough money in your bank account. We had a woman at Waterstone here that I run who... We went to her to give some of the money from her fund away. and She said she would not want to give it away because she only had $100 million and she didn't know she could pay the gas bill. That's a true story. So you you might love money because you, you, you don't have enough security. Or you might love money because you have pride. You want to be the big guy in the Ferrari and have everybody look at you. Or you want, might want money because you want power. You want to control others. So the love of money is really a root of a different sin. What is that sin? Well, I would say the same thing around courage around being late. What is the thing in me that's causing me to do this? And so if you are not of a generous spirit, if you're not a big tipper, you should be as someone who loves Jesus. If you're not someone who is always looking for ways to bless others, whether it's tax deductible or not, why? There's gotta be something else going on. Look at the core of who you are and ask the Lord to reveal that to you. Like he revealed to me years later, why I was always late. It wasn't that I was tardy. It was that I was arrogant. As we conclude this, I would just say that there's a lot of things that are generosity. It's not just money. We tend to think about that. But I would say patience and forgiveness are generosity. Patience with other people is saying, I may have this figured out. I I may have this down and you may need help. And for me to take my time to help you instead of screaming or yelling or making little comments, that's generosity of spirit. Forgiveness is the ultimate. I mean, you've been wronged. And you remember what the Lord has forgiven us for, there's a generosity of spirit there that says, I don't have it all figured out, so I'm going to forgive you and help you to get to where I am, if I'm more spiritually able. Generosity and courage together are really dying to self. It's really Matthew 5 through 7. It's the the Sermon on the Mount. It is, as I die to myself daily, two of the big, we talked about foundations of ideas and symptoms, Two of the symptoms of a man or woman who's in love with Jesus, who's died to self, are courage and generosity. I will stand for the truth. I will seek justice. I will plead the widow's cause. I will care for the orphan. I will give to help those that I can because I've died to self. Last I would just say, a good friend of mine has a great saying I love. It says, um, I never get offended because dead men don't get offended. There's something also about not getting offended because we've died to self. So let's be generous and encouraged in every way that we can. Thanks.